We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Something called the Chicago Architecture Biennial might sound like a lot of fun for fans of the city's skyscrapers and imaginative buildings, but maybe not so interesting if you don't live in an affluent neighborhood. But what if the biennial weren't all about buildings and it was relevant and even promising when it comes to less affluent communities? Well, it's here and we're going to explore it. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore and this is At Issue. Twenty twenty one marks the fourth edition of the Chicago Architectural Biennial. It's an international forum on architecture and essentially urban design. The organizers say they want to explore and address global issues through the lens of architecture. This year's theme is the available city. We'll let our guests explain what that means and why it matters to people in the neighborhoods. Joining me via Zoom is attorney Jack Guthman, who is the chairman of the biennial. In his law practice, he specializes in zoning, land use, and real estate. In reality, Jack is everywhere, dealing with government relations and philanthropic work. Can't talk, which is bad in a job like this. Uh, he is on boards and commissions and is an advisor to others. Also with us is Rachel Kaplan. She is the interim director of the Architecture Biennial, expanding a role that began with the 2015 Biennial. She's uh, been a director of programming for Project Art, which produced art programs for the Chicago Public Libraries and also worked with the Chicago Architecture Foundation. And last but definitely not least is architect Jermaine Barnes. He is Florida based, but he is a Chicago native with an architecture degree from the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana and a master's from Woodbury University. He teaches at the University of Miami and he's a recognized expert in urban design. His is one of the featured projects in this year's biennial. It's an effort that you can see in Lawndale. But thanks to the three of you for joining me. Uh, Rachel Kaplan, let's start with you as the director of the biennial. Uh, explain what we mean by the available city. Well, thank you again for having us today and great place to start. So the available city is really this um, framework for a collect, uh, collaborative community-led design approach that, that presents transformative possibilities for vacant urban spaces that are really created with um, local residents. So it's really about bringing in concepts of design and bringing in local residents to really think about opportunities for their interests and needs within their communities and how those really can translate through various activations. And so 
just a quick example, um, you know, instead of building fences, can we build benches um, to create uh, and delineate space, especially in these vacant um, areas around our city? And now in previous years, much but not all of the uh, architectural exhibits and presentations were centered on the Chicago Cultural Center downtown. Um, Rachel, what's happening this year? Yeah, so this year, um, for a variety of different reasons, um, we've expanded out into the city and really thinking about the city as the site for the exhibition. And it's less of an, act, an exhibition and more of these activations. Um, so as you mentioned, in the past, we've been located at the Chicago Cultural Center, where we've exhibited over 150 plus architects and really explored ideas that are central to Chicago, but also as they relate to um, a global dialogue and global cities around the world. Um, but this year, in light of the pandemic and also just really looking at Chicago and what it's confronting and facing, especially as it relates to vacant lots um, and David Brown's work in particular, it really became um, something that uh, really garnered the, the focus of what the 2021 edition can be. And that is really looking at our city and um, identifying opportunities for how to really engage in a global dialogue around how to activate these spaces. Um, and so this year we're in over eight different neighborhoods at 12 sites, exhibiting 15 different projects. Some are permanent, some are semi-permanent, but all really start from, again, the conversations with these local community groups and identifying opportunities that can be presented and explored further through these types of activations. Thanks. Now, Jack Guthman, uh, talk with me about the big picture. How does this kind of uh, an, an event, uh, a presentation, uh, fit in with the everyday lives that people are living? Well, there are two answers to that, really. Um, the Biennial is a biennial of ideas. And the ideas that are explored are the nexus between the built environment and architecture. Uh, because there is obviously a linkage between how people live, what their lives are, the social issues that they face, and that which is constructed, that which is developed. So uh, it, that's, that's how it reaches uh, the ordinary, the, the, the person uh, on the street, so to speak. Um, there's an additional uh, area that we're trying to cover here, and, and that is um, Chicago as a center for dialogue. Uh, the biennial idea came out of the cultural plan, which was rewritten in 2012, and the idea was to find uh, an area of uh, Chicago's, uh, where, where Chicago is well known, uh, it, it's, um, it has a history, uh, and architecture certainly fits that. Um, to um, have Chicago again at the center of the discourse, the dialogue uh, uh, professionally. Uh, it also has been, this is a little bit different year because people aren't traveling. Uh, it's a yet another tourist uh, opportunity. Uh, and it adds to the other, the already very robust cultural and arts life of Chicago. So it has, it has many features and they all interact. Um, now, Jermaine Barnes, and, and I am very glad that you are able to join us. Uh, and I know this, this question is something that you've been thinking about uh, in your career, and that is, what does it take to get people to think of 
architecture as something more than planning big striking buildings? Well, first, Craig, I'd like to say thanks for having me. Um, this is, is quite an honor, quite a pleasure to be here and talk about the, the process and talk about the project. So for my installation and the way that I think about architecture in the built environment, it's always through the lens of identity and how do we find ourselves in space? Because everyone experiences space. Um, we may not have the same nomenclature, we may not use the same linguistics, but my grandmother who uses a countertop understands the dimensions the same way an architect who decides the length of a countertop. One is doing it through drawing, one is doing it through objects. And so with this biennial has given the opportunity to expose to the world and to those who live in these neighborhoods is that we all experience space. We can all have a conversation around space and we can through that through a collaborative process, which is often removed from architecture, which is typically something that incentivizes the client and the architect and less the user. Yeah, and how do you get though the community to come in at what I would think is a very early part of, of the process, the design part? Uh, usually, you know, those of us who've had to cover community meetings about things, developments in their area, the design's done and you're, you're being asked to comment on it. You know, they show this is what the building's gonna look like and this is what the streets are gonna, here's the pic, pretty picture of, of how it's gonna look, uh, you know, 20, 10 years from now. How do you get people to be able to engage before there's anything in the space? Fantastic question. Um, I think it, it helps when you invest in people. And, and for this proposal, fortunately, Rachel, uh, and David Brown, the artistic director, reached out to my office around May to broach the idea of being a part of this iteration of the biennial. And when they approached me, I immediately told them, oh, well, this means I need to fly in and out of town every single month because I want the people in the neighborhood to know my face. I want the people in the area to also collaborate on the process, not just parachute in, drop off a project, and then leave. So every single month, I would fly in town for an entire week, meet with the youth in the neighborhood, meet with the local, uh, the local community leaders, um, the pastors in the area. And so over the course of that entire summer, we developed a proposal that wasn't just my proposal, but a proposal that was built with people as opposed to for people. And I think the excitement around um, Block Party, which has its own historical relevance, is that it was 100% community oriented, 100% community focused. And everyone that appeared at the opening were ones who seemingly had a hand in the design of the process. And can you tell me Craig, a little if bit? I of, may oh, for no, a go ahead, go ahead, Jack. Uh, the word uh, that was used here is the key to the entire invisible city and it's collaboration. It's bringing together the community, understanding the community needs as expressed by the community and merging their needs, their hopes, their wishes with professional assistance. Uh, and that's what we're all about. And that's what makes this, um, this biennial so unique. And I wanna add something to that as well. I think, um, you know, David Brown, who um, Jermaine mentioned is the artistic director, he's been working on this um, concept of the available city for over 10 years. And a really big part of his practice is the generative and iterative process of design. So it's not just about having a design and then responding to that, but how do you work with um, and collaborate 
to um, develop ideas, to go back and revisit them, to challenge those ideas, bring in new voices. Um, you know, it really is about the process. And so um, through the work that Jermaine was doing and also our other um, partners across the city, there were weekly conversations, a lot of workshops, um, revisiting design, revising design, but really thinking about, you know, ultimately how these will serve the community, um, not just, you know, immediately, but although we do think about the futures we can have today. So what, you know, can these projects really do to achieve um, the needs that are immediate, but also thinking about how these can evolve over time. And so, you know, these projects that you see across the city are, you know, built and they're complete, but they do intend to continue to, I guess, uh, reveal themselves over time. And we do invite the dialogue and opportunities for these to continue to expand and grow. And especially actually the project Jermaine is working on is a part of a bigger project called Under the Grid. And um, really thinking about a 15 block stretch under the pink line that runs through North Lawndale and opportunities to really transform those vacant spaces into community use spaces. And so this project um, block party that Jermaine did it was an opportunity to bring people in to really see the possibilities of what those spaces can be and think about them as they relate to um, these other, uh, this other train or trail of, of lots. Um, Jermaine Barnes, can you give me an idea of, first off, if when people go to uh, North Lawndale, what are they, what are they going to see? And, and then I also want you to address um, how you got people, since you, you actually came in and did this, how you got people to really be able to offer ideas. I can't think of anything more intimidating to me than a big <laughs> blank page and you say, what do you want there? And, you know, so, so I imagine that it, it must have been a little daunting at first uh, on both sides. Oh, ab absolutely. But the, I, mean, I mean, I I like to say I was trained for this um, growing up in Chicago and being approached uh, by Rachel and, and David, I've been to every iteration of the biennial in the past. And so when they approached me for this version, I said, oh, this 100% aligns with my practice. I know how to work with people. I know how to work in communities because this is the kind of way I was raised also on the west side of Chicago, specifically in Austin. So when I was asked to, to be a part of the process, I immediately was on a Zoom call with the local collaborators on the ground. We had an amazing conversation. Uh, we immediately hit it off within the first five minutes because as a Westsider, being on the phone with Southsiders, that immediately created its own fun type of tension of which side is the fun side to be from with regards <laughs> to the architectural legacy. So that immediately hit us off on the right foot. And so from there, I let them know that I do these summer workshops with young people all the time to teach them architecture, construction, detailing, and the possibilities of what the field could offer. And so that's what we did. Um, I proposed the idea of a block party because what do we do in Chicago? We do block parties. Uh, for me, it's one of the most ultimate, purest forms of collaboration because it's everyone on your block, it's the residents, it's the neighbors who are all working together to provide for those who live on that block. And so the idea of taking that and then pairing it with the, the mission of the biennial seemed like a perfect marriage to me. And so I proposed that and then the students loved it. And from there, we began designing the actual structure. 
You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. We're talking about the Chicago Architecture Biennial with the program's chairman, Jack Gutman, the executive director, Rachel Kaplan, and architect Jermaine Barnes, and we are conversing via Zoom. Um, Rachel Kaplan, can you tell me, give me some uh, a sense of some of the other notable presentations this year uh, and, and, and the variety of things that people can see if they make the, uh, the visits to these neighborhoods? Well, we absolutely hope people do, because I think it's a really amazing opportunity to see how these projects do transform these spaces. Um, but a couple of examples are um, one project that actually started in 2019 um, through David's work with um, a school in North Lawndale called the CCA Academy. He hosted a workshop with um, local architecture firm, the Bitter Tang Farm, um, as it relates to their um, permaculture garden that's right down the street from their school. Uh, through the workshop, it became apparent that uh, with students that the uh, opportunity for that garden could really be transformed by making an outdoor classroom space or a gathering space for the students. Um, the, they do a ton of programming there that really emphasizes and highlights um, urban agriculture, um, healthy eating, access to food. And so creating a space that students could spend time um, do workshops, participate in programming was a really big priority for them. So um, with the through the workshops with Bitter Tang, they came up with an, a concept for an outdoor classroom and um, it is presented now, built in um, quite a, a magical environment um, right off of 13th Street and Pulaski in um, North Lawndale. And so um, spaces like that, um, which or community gardens can, you know, be transformed into these spaces that also not only cater to the students, but also invite community in to use the space as well. And that's something that's a big part of the initiative of the school is it's not just for the students, but it really is for the community. Um, up the block from there, we are also working with Wyman Young Men's Employment Network. Um, they uh, started in 2020 uh, a bike box, which is a space that um, you can rent bicycles. They also do um, workforce training on how to repair bicycles with their members um, through Wyman. Um, they invited in Sekou Cook, who's an architect based in um, Charlotte right now, um, and worked to understand ways to create a, a gathering space also around it. Because initially it was just a container sitting on an empty lot. And so they really transformed the space, making um, garden beds, seating areas, places for people to really spend time. And so I uh, actually took a shipping container and cut it into many pieces um, and it's a very interesting configuration and also use of something that, um, you know, is a typical product, something that you see uh, probably just abandoned in vacant lots sometimes, really utilized and revisioned to um, accommodate people and something that will also be installed indefinitely. Um, so those are two examples. We also have projects in Woodlawn and Inglewood. Um, Inglewood, we did a project with Grow Greater Inglewood, um, which is also a part of a bigger project of um, this Inglewood Nature Trail, which is a two-mile stretch of a elevated train line, kind of the, the 606, but not 606. 
Um, and this particular lot, the Inglewood Village Plaza, marks the kind of entryway to this future trail. And so with Atelier Bow Wow, who is based in Japan, they had weekly conversations and came up with a, um, a design scheme for the, the space, um, which currently exists as a communal table and um, a, a workstation. Um, there's a training garden there. So they work with lots of groups um, within the community um, to bring them in, to teach them how to garden. So it's really this opportunity, again, to get people together, to spend time and to feel like they have a, um, a stake in what, what's happening in these spaces. Um, and I think, you know, the big part of all of this, and I think the outcome of these projects is really thinking about who participates in the design of a city. And I think really, you know, understanding that, um, you know, the ideas can really come from people that are on the ground and those visions can be um, manifested through these types of opportunities. Rachel, can, we, can you give me a quick sense of what proportion of the, uh, the I, I, don't, I don't know what to call it, exhibitions, presentations, are hard things that have actually been been made or created in the space versus the plans for them or the ideas? Um, yeah, so most, I mean, these projects in terms of how, I guess, they relate to the space and versus the ideas, I think they go hand in hand. Um, you know, the outcomes of these projects are, as I mentioned, the beginning of the opportunities for these spaces. So, you know, although the exhibition as you're going, or we call them projects, but you know, for <laughs> lack of a better way to explain it, these, um, these projects, these activations, these installations are there to experience now, but really this is just the starting point. Now they're living and breathing within these spaces. And so almost how do these projects begin to stimulate new ideas, new conversations? And I think that's something that the biennial is really invested in just long-term. How do we continue to continue this dialogue follow the trajectory of these projects, really understand the opportunities that exist. And again, pointing back to David's um, process around this and framework of um, irritative design and generative des design, it's really about, you know, once you get to a certain point, how do you take a step back, evaluate and understand where there's more opportunities or different approaches? And it which brings also me to you, noted. Jack, I was actually, the, the, the question for you, Jack, is, how, as the guy who walks into the <laughs> into the uh, zoning committee meetings uh, and and works with the developers, how do you turn these kinds of ideas into realities that that, that somebody will be able to feel that they're making either having a benefit from or making money on? Well, uh, let me answer that in several parts. I I also don't want to skip over an, uh, another element of the biennial. We're going to have a very uh, aggressive uh, weekly uh, webinar program as well. Uh, so when we talk about a biennial of ideas, there will be um, conversations uh, with people from local people and from people around the world speaking to some of these same issues. That's part and parcel of the 21 uh, biennial. Uh, also, uh, one of the things that I think is going to come out of this is David Brown has done a remarkable job for 10 years uh, putting this program into place. I think 
having the biannual as a framework uh, will not only lend credence to what he's doing, additional credence to what he's doing, but will uh, and will amplify what he's doing, but will give him um, the visibility so that some of these uh, places that our ideas now will be brought to fruition. Uh, Rachel mentioned, you know, the two mile track, the 15 block track. These are, these are long-term kinds of circumstances, but they need an impetus. And uh, David, David is a genius at, his, at what he does in terms of his thinking. Uh, I think the biennial has offered him and the city uh, an opportunity to take some of these ideas and give them uh, the impetus, if I use that word again, uh, to, uh, to see them fulfilled. That's where we hope we're going. And, you know, each will, each will need their own funding. I mean, we, we can't fund all these things. But the reality is, if you, if you make them visible, they will have, and if they're credible and visible, they will be, they will mature. But will either, I, I don't know whether it has to be government or private developers, but is there a way for this to come to pass where it's not somebody's just saying, okay, I want to do something charitable on the West side, uh, but that there is something that will bring development in or encourage government to do it? Well, the government um, is obviously a, a key factor because some of these uh, price tags are pretty large. On the other hand, um, it has been uh, wonderful to see uh, private sector corporations, philanthropists, foundations step up in this circumstance. And I understand right now they're stepping up to help with the forming the idea. But uh, surely um, government should be involved as well. You know, we've had these 10,000 empty lots for as long as I've been practicing law and no government has chosen to, to do something about it. Perhaps with the added visibility and the credibility that we give it, uh, there will be programmatic uh, money as well. But yes, it, it will take, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of parties to put these together. Yeah, and I think also it's interesting, you know, a cultural organization like the Biennial, how we can, you know, we can move fast, we're agile, we're able to do these. I mean, we turn these projects around in less than a year. How can, um, you know, city entities learn or participate in this um, where we're able to do the work and kind of get out and experiment a little bit quicker, faster? Um, you know, how can those lessons be learned and then implemented to either, you know, think about policy changes or new opportunities. And so, you know, shifting the way a cultural organization, especially like the Biennial can participate in the making of a city, but also be a place to learn from and, you know, grow and uh, challenge the way things are happening currently. Jermaine I just Bowen, want to uh, make sure that the perspective on this is, the, is correct too. Um, these are not-for-profit enterprises, but they deal with quality of life. And one of the things that government is there to do is to deal with people's quality of life. So it's a natural, it's a natural link. And Jermaine Barnes, you're, you're going to probably end up having the last word on this, uh, uh, but I'm always interested in how people come to see a field like architecture. And there are other fields that sound more esoteric than they are. Uh, what 
sparked your interest in this and your ability to see how it could change lives for the people in the area where you grew up? I think I'm one of those very, very lucky people who has a significant amount of serendipitous moments that pushes you towards a career. Um, the elementary school that I went to, Edison Regional Gifted Center, in my seventh grade year, we did a full study on Frank Boyd Wright. So I was building models of the Guggenheim when I was in elementary school. Uh, when I was a kid growing up in, in my parents' home, oftentimes we would play in the park along uh, Chicago Avenue and Oak Park, which is right across the street from Frank Boyd Wright's home and studio. And then my mom worked in the Sears Tower. Right. So like there's all these things that sort of happen. It is like if I wasn't going to be an architect, I don't know what else I would have done. And then add to that, back when Mayor Daly had his kid start program, my first job at 14 was painting for the Austin Public Library. So my entire sort of career was crafted towards this goal of design, of architecture, of the built environment. And so the best thing about what I do, in my opinion, is giving that love for design back to the young people. So when Rachel and David came to me for this proposal, every month I would come in town, we would design things with young people in the area who are all sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school. And the things they designed were actually built and put on the vacant parcel as a part of the biennial. So they can actually say at 15 years old, they're exhibited artists in an international global um, exhibition. Well, that is that is that is a wonderful way to end this uh, is thinking about the future of the profession and the city. So thank you very much. That is thank you. Yeah, that is architect Jermaine Barnes, also with uh, Rachel Kaplan of the Chicago Architecture Biennial and Jack Guthman, uh, also the uh, chairman of that. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on Odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.